Let that be the declaration of our heart this morning. Oh, what a father. Oh, what a friend. Oh, what a savior he is. Church family, if you agree with that, let's put our hands together and praise the Lord. I want to read a quick passage for you while you're standing. Listen to 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. It says this, this is how God showed his love to us. This is how God demonstrated his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Anybody have life today? We have life because he's alive, right? This is love. What's love? Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And see, and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray with that in mind. Father, we come to you this morning and we declare that back to you. We are amazed, we're stunned, we're in awe of the fact, the reality that you really do love us. Sinful, pitifully sinful people. Men and women who have openly and deliberately re rebelled against you. And yet the Savior of the world, the God who created all of the world and sustains all that's here, you still love us. And God, I pray that today we'll never get over that reality. I pray that you will help us see you in a fresh way. I pray that you would remind us of your goodness to us, that you'd remind us of your faithfulness to us, that we would see that you're an active and alive God. God, I pray that you would allow your word to transform our hearts from the inside out. Holy Spirit, fall upon us this morning. God, give us the ears to hear the word the way that you would want us to hear it. Give us eyes to see the gospel the way that you would have us see it. And I pray that there won't be one heart that's in this room that at the, that at the end of the conclusion of our day together, that will leave the same way it came in. I pray that we would be changed, we'd be challenged, we'd be convicted by your word. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray all these things. Amen and amen and amen. You may be seated. You know, if you are a first-time guest here with us at Eagles Landing, we certainly want you to know that we are so glad that you have chosen to spend your Easter Sunday worshiping with us. We hope uh, that you'll feel like you're at home amongst us. We want you to know that we're so glad you're here, and we do want you to be a part of this incredible family. We have one goal here at Eagles Landing, and that's really to know God and to make Him known. We want the whole world to know about the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if that's something that you can get on board with, we would love to invite you to discover, uh, to learn more about us, and maybe to partner with us in seeing that that actually happens. But if you're a regular here, if you're here most Sundays and this is the church that you call home, you know that every single weekend I basically preach the same sermon, don't I? It's the same sermon, it just has a different twist to it because the gospel's multifaceted and we sing the same gospel throughout a plethora of different texts. But it's the same sermon. Every single Sunday I preach two things. That Jesus died on the cross for, to pay the penalty for my sin, that's the crucifixion, but also that Jesus rose from the grave and that's the resurrection. So every single Sunday we talk about Jesus crucified in our place for us but also that Jesus resurrected and defeated death, hell, and the grave. And that's what we're about here at Eagles Landing. And I love this about Easter. I mean, in fact, Easter brings this into a sharp focus. This reality becomes more apparent uh, than really any other time of the year. It comes apparent here at Easter. you got Good Friday. That's the crucifixion. 
And then you have Easter Sunday. That's celebrating the resurrection. So my goal this morning is actually going to be really, really simple. My goal is to help us understand how the death of Jesus at the cross, the crucifixion, and how the resurrection of Jesus at the empty tomb work together for our salvation. Hey, that's where we're headed this morning. I want you to see how Friday and Sunday make a difference and how they work together for your own salvation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through one verse of Scripture today. This is going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 23, okay? This is a very familiar verse of Scripture for most of you, uh, if not all of you. Uh, so what I want you to know, though, we're going to walk through this verse together. And then i got three simple points that I want to bring out of this verse. We're going to see first what we deserve. What we deserve is death. But secondly, what we're going to see is not only what we deserve, but what we get. And what we get is eternal life. And then third, we're going to land the plane with how do we actually get that eternal life. And we're going to see that it's through Jesus Christ, our King, the one in whom we just sung about uh, just a moment ago. So that's kind of where we're headed this morning. Let's begin by reading verse 23 of Romans chapter 6. It says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Your translation might say, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The only way from death to life is through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The only way from death to life is through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let's begin with what we deserve. This is the bad news. This is the thing we don't like to talk about in church, uh, especially uh, now, nowadays, okay? But this is the bad news. What do we deserve? What we deserve is death. It says this in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Now, in order to understand what's happening here, you really need to understand the context in which Paul is writing and the people in which Paul is writing to. How many of you have someone in your family who just loves to argue? In fact, they'll argue about everything. They just want to prove a point. They think they're right about everything. We have one of those in our house. She's our daughter. And we refer to her as our lawyer, okay? She, she literally came up to me after the first service. She said, well, Dad, the truth is, is I'm always right. And I wasn't going to argue with her because she has a reason, a rationale for why she's always right. And that's just who she is. And she's 10 years old, so Lord, help me as she continues to mature. And help whoever has to marry that girl, right? <laughs> I kid, I kid. That's why you got a broke can. It's good. That's not why. Um, but anyway, seriously, so she loves to argue. And honestly, when you get to know the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is a master of argumentation. Like, he has a way with words like none other. In fact, he has a way of seeing things and then speaking into things like really nobody else does. He knew, Paul did, that if Christians embrace this theology, the accurate theology, that men and women, we are only saved by grace through faith, then he knew that the natural temptation and the natural tendency for, for sinful men and women like me and like you is that we would start to think that if we're saved by grace through faith, then now we can go and live our lives however we want to live them. And Paul was like, no, 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 I'm not flattered by that way of thinking at all. In fact, that's polar opposite to what the Bible teaches. You have been set free, not so that you can be liberated into a lifestyle of sin. 
You've been set free so that you can live now according to God's word and start to follow him in all of your ways. And that is as much freedom as you'll ever experience this side of eternity. So Paul wasn't flattered by that way of thinking. In in fact, Paul taught this, that God never transformed anyone for a free-willing, happy-go-lucky lifestyle. He never transformed anyone for that. God God never entered to the heart of mankind so that then they can go live rampantly, sinfully, and do whatever they want to do. He didn't do that. And then he gives this metaphor to make sense of what he's talking about here. He does this in verse 16. It says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, listen to this, then you are slaves to the one in whom you obey either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul was saying, don't make something complex that was really simple. He's saying there's only two masters in the world, and you follow one of them. It's either sin, and that sin will lead you to death, or it's God, and that lifestyle will lead you to righteousness. Now, no doubt, when you, when, when you were... In Rome, in this day and age, you would understand this metaphor uh, probably better than anyone. Uh, because most commentators say that, that the men and women that Paul is writing to, over half of the Romans uh, were enslaved. And if they weren't enslaved, then they were in slavery before this. So, so they all knew what this was like. They all knew what this meant. In fact, it should resonate not only well with them, but it should resonate well with us. See, each one of us are slaves to the one in which we obey. Now, here's the sad reality of it all, church family. Very few of us, if any of us, would openly admit, you know what? That's me. I'm a slave to the one I obey. I'm a slave to the wickedness of the world. Many many of us would not say that, that, that that, that we do not obey God. Most of us would think that we are slaves to God. We don't, we don't see ourselves on this side of the fork in the road. We see ourselves over here on this side of the fork in the road. But what I want to do this morning is I want to show you that in reality, most of us live on this side. Most of us live on this side. See, for some of you, you're a slave to the occupation, the job that God has called you to. In fact, when things aren't going the way that you want them to go, that's the reason why you get irritable. You get frustrated. And then you lash out on everyone around you. Why? Because that job is controlling you. And it, your, your emotions are dictated and determined by how things are going there. So you're a slave, per se, to the one that you obey. Maybe you're a slave today to relationships. You think in order to be fulfilled, in order to be satisfied, in order to, to, to find the satisfaction that your heart longs for, you need to be in a relationship. And as soon as this relationship ends, you just go find another relationship. So you have all of these relationships that take place, and all of them lead to the same result. They don't fulfill. They don't satisfy. But you keep chasing after them. Why? Because you are a slave to the one that you obey. Your heart idolizes relationships, so you pursue those relationships. Maybe it's material possessions. Maybe for you, it's just you got to have the new thing. And once you get the new thing... Well, that fades after a week or two, so you need the new thing with the new thing. And that takes you another two weeks. Do you see what happens? It's a drug. Literally, you get a hit on this drug, and it takes you for a few weeks, and before you know it, I need another hit on the drug, and you keep going back to the drug, and it never does what it promises. It just leaves you empty. It leaves you lacking. 
And you're searching to try to fulfill this. Maybe for you it's acceptance and approval. You just want people to like you. And the reality is that you don't like you. I mean, just being honest. You sit there and you're like, I don't know why anybody would like me because I don't like me. And yet we live our lives trying to make man happy or woman happy. We want our boss to be pleased with us. We want our spouse to be pleased with us. We want our kids to be pleased with us. So we compromise our convictions and we live our life this way because we want acceptance and we want approval. And for some of you kids, it's just like chasing popularity. You want people to know you. You want more likes and more followers than you can imagine because the more likes and the more followers you get, the more you feel like your fame escalates and you're important and you have value and you have worth. That lifestyle, Paul says, leads you to death. It leads you to death. Literally, this serves as a warning sign in the middle of the road saying, if you go any further, this is the inevitable result of your life. It is a downward spiral into destruction. It leads you to death. So many in this room this morning, you are at that fork in the road. You're at the fork in the road. Either sin is your master, and you will continue down this journey that leads, Paul says, to death. Or God is your master. And if God is your master, listen intently to this, then you will obey him. You will obey him. How, how, how will we know that you love God? You'll obey all my commands. That's what it means. You'll, you'll obey him. So with that in mind, let's go back to verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Again, don't overcomplicate this. A wage is exactly what you think it is, church family. A wage is something that you've earned. That's what a wage is. It's given in exchange for something that you've done. You go and you cut somebody's grass, and they pay you a wage for cutting their grass. You did, you did something, they gave you a wage for it. That's what a wage is. It's, it's, a, it's compensation for a service that you've rendered. That's what a wage is, okay? So the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. We, we know what a wage is, but what specifically does Paul have in mind? What's the wage that Paul is talking about here? He says, for the wages of sin is death. That's the wage. The inevitable result, what you've earned for something that you've done, is death. This is the sum of sin's wages. It's death. Death is the inevitable wage for the sinner. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. What you'll see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is God created a perfect world and man lived in perfect harmony with God. And in Genesis chapter 3, right there at the beginning, Adam and Eve chose to deliberately rebel against God. What were they saying? There's only two masters in the world. You can go to sin and death, or you can go God and obedience. You have, you have one or two ways. And Adam and Eve said, you know what, God? We know what you've told us not to do, but we're choosing to do it anyway. We're going to go the route of sin. We're taking this fork in the road. And the inevitable consequence of what Adam and Eve did in Genesis chapter 3 is what? Death enters the world. Plants and animals die. People die. Death enters the world. So not only does this wage mean that we die physically, but what's even more important than that is that we also die spiritually. See, where God created Adam and Eve to exist in perfect harmony with him, when sin entered the world, there became a great wedge, a great gulf that separated man from God. So now we are spiritually separated for God for all 
eternity. And the entire Bible from Genesis chapter 3, really from 1 all the way to the end of Revelation, but from Genesis chapter 3, the entire Bible is a rescuing mission of sending Jesus to the world to bring sinners back to God. That's what it's about. It's a redemptive story. You got creation, that God created the world and everything in it. You got the fall, that man chose his own way. And then you have the rescuer, Jesus came to provide the way for man to get back to God. And then you have restoration. God is in process of restoring all things back to Genesis 1 and 2. The garden, perfect harmony with him. That's the entire biblical narrative. So spiritual death is eternal separation from God. If the wage of sin is death, the question we have to ask today is then what is sin? What is sin? Some of you have heard it like this, and, and I, I heard it like this growing up, and it's not actually wrong. It actually is right. But you've, you've heard sin as if God's glory is the bullseye on a target board. You're throwing darts at that bullseye, and you're missing it every time, right? That, that, that's, that's the glory. That's, that's the life we're supposed to live, and we throw it, and we just cannot hit the bullseye. We're, we're sinners. We miss the mark is what that means. The problem with you and I is we're not throwing darts at the dartboard. We're literally throwing darts in the wrong direction. That's how bad we miss the mark. We, we throw darts at everything other than what we're aiming for. But you know, when you start to dig to the depths of what sin is, here's what you need to hear. Sin is not so much an action or behavior that you do. Sin is a master that you serve. I need you to hear that this morning. Sin is not so much an action or a behavior that you do. Sin is a master that you serve. We sin because sin is our masters. And because sin is our master and we're a slave to that sin, we serve that master. We've got to get this. Sin is a master that pays wages to the sinner that serves him. And that's who we are. This includes every single one of us in this room. Sin is our master. We serve sin. We live for sin. That's what we do. It's who we are. And what do we deserve? According to Paul, Paul says we deserve death. But that's not how this verse ends. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. But the greatest conjunction in all of the Bible, underline it, circle it, highlight it, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So we're not just going to look at what we deserve, which is death, but what do we get? What we get, the Bible says, is eternal life. That's point number two. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Now, I love what Paul does here. This, this second phrase here stands in complete contrast to the first phrase. And I love how Paul brings symmetry to these uh, passages, what he, or to these phrases. What he says in the first phrase, he's going to come back and, and use the same pattern in the second phrase. He says here, but the free gift. So watch this. Whereas a wage is deserved, it's something you earn for something that you do. A free gift is undeserved. You didn't do anything to get it or deserve it. It was just given to you by the hands of the generous giver. And in this case, the generous giver is God. You didn't do anything to get it. So can you earn this gift, this free gift? The answer is an emphatic no. There's nothing you can do to earn 
this gift. It's a free gift given at the hands of God. The recipient does nothing to deserve it or to earn it. Now think about how this plays into my life and think about how it plays into your life. For some of us, if you were to get to the other side, if today was the day of your death and you stood before God and God said, why should I let you into the kingdom of heaven? Many of you, this is how you would answer. You would say, because I got baptized when I was eight years old. Because I said the sinner's prayer when I was 13. Or because I gave my tithes and offerings faithfully to the church. Or don't you know me, God? I was a deacon there at Eagles Landing. Don't you know? Don't you remember every morning I read my Bible, at least tried to, that daily devotion that I would tear off on my desk. Every day I would pray in my car. Do you realize that every single one of these answers are based on your individual works? You're saying, God, you should let me in because this is what I've done. That's not a free gift. Jesus is saying to you, it doesn't matter what you have done or what you have not done. What matters is you've placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, and when he said it is done, he meant it's done. That means there's nothing else for you to do. It's all about him. Salvation from beginning to end is all about Jesus rescuing your soul from the path of sin into the marvelous light of the gospel of Jesus. That's what it's about. This is why he says the word free gift. You, you know, actually, if you think about it, the word free gift is rather redundant. You know why? Because a gift is free. So why, why would God add the word free to something that's already free, free gift? Well, the simple answer is this. Because God doesn't want you to miss the point. In other words, you can't do anything. It's a free gift. You did nothing to earn this gift. You did nothing to deserve this gift. There was no action or behavior that you participated in that was so grand and so glorious that caused you to get this gift. The only reason you get this gift is what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Remember, you didn't do anything. It's the gift of God. It's not what you deserve for some action. It's not what you deserve because you said a prayer. No, it's a gift of God. It's not a result of any works that you've committed so that no one can boast. If God lets you in because of your baptism certificate, or if God lets you in because of your church attendance, then you would be able to boast in the fact that you were baptized or that you attend the church faithfully. But that's not how this ends. It's not so that we can boast. The only way we get this eternal life is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's surrendering to his lordship. So what's the gift? It's unmerited. You don't deserve it. It's a free gift. But what's the gift? Paul says here, but the free gift of God is eternal life. The sum of all of sin's wages is death. But when you place your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, what you get is eternal life. Eternal life is not the sum of a wage, a wage you earned. It's the sum of a free gift. It's just someone who loves you enough decided, I'm going to give you something that you do not deserve. See, whereas the sum of sin is death, the sum of God's free gift, he says here, Paul does, is eternal Life. So the question now becomes is who's the giver of the gift? Well, look what it says. But the free gift of who? The free gift of God. 
The free gift of God is eternal life. Now, I love this church family. Remember, sin is the master that pays wages of death to its slaves. This is what Paul said. Sin is the master that pays wages of death to its slaves. Now what he's saying is God is the master that gives free gifts of eternal life to his servants. You see how he's literally drawing symmetry between these two? What Paul was showing us is there's only two rival masters. If you ask God, God would say, really, there's only one who's God. There's no rival at all because he knows how it ends, and he knew how it was going to end, and now we know how it ends. So we know how it ends too, right? But here's the deal. There's two rival masters in our hearts. Either you're a slave to one or you're a slave to other. Listen, if you're here today, it's by divine appointment. God wanted you to hear that there's only one of two choices in your life. You're either a, a slave to sin or you're a servant of God. And there's no middle ground. There's no gray area. It's either you're on this path or you're on this path. What you have to decide today is which path are you treading? Where are you at? So here's the big question that all of us have to ask in this room today. Here it is. How do I know who my master is? How do I know? I mean, I think it's God. Or, or maybe you're drawing a complete conclusion. No, I know it ain't God. I know that this is the life that I have chosen. And I know that sin is my master. But that's the question we have to ask is, who is my master? Listen, this is really easy to answer. You can answer it by answering this question. Who is it that rules your life? Now, this is where we start to get a little uneasy. Because when, when we're honest, when we're men and women of integrity, when we try to answer these questions honestly, we might want to say, well, God's the ruler of my life. But then we start to think about it. And when the church gathers, well, we're not really there on Sunday. It's a bride of Christ. This is a priority to the life of God. So maybe I'm not on that path. When the church scatters, the church scatters with a particular mission and purpose in mind. And that's to go into all the world making disciples of Jesus Christ and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So they're working together, arms locked in arms, on mission together as an army against the world, going to lead men and women to Jesus Christ. And when you start to think about that, you're thinking, man, I, I, I'm not part of that army. I don't live my life that way. And you start going through simple yet elementary things in your life, you start to realize, whoa, Maybe God's not my master, because I'm much, it, it's much more natural for me to submit to the master of sin than it is to the master of God. I find it much more like me to, to go down this road than to go down the other. What we deserve is death, but what we get is eternal life, but how do we actually get it? How do we actually get this gift of eternal life? It says it right here, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life, listen, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is so much power wrapped up in that phrase right there. This is the single reason you and I just sung to the top of our lungs a moment ago. This is the single reason that emotion comes out of us as we sing back to him. This is the reason you saw the expression of worship through people lifting their hands and tears coming out of people's eyes. Why? It's because they recognize that this is reality. It's true that the wage of my sin is death. I don't deserve anything that God would give me, but the only thing I do deserve is to be eternally separated from him forever. 
But because God is so good and God is so glorious, he sent his son into this world to do for me what I could not do for myself. He went and died a sinner's death, my death. And then he rose from the grave in victory so that if I place my faith and trust in him, I'll have life with him forever. And that comes out of us and we realize it's only through Jesus that we have any hope at all. See, this simple phrase may be the climax of the entire chapter. How can sinners like me and you, who deserve the wage of sin, get eternal life? The simple answer is through, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here's what I want you to hear me say this morning, church family. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes Everything. That is Paul's point here in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. When Jesus interrupts your life, he changes everything about you. Every desire that you used to have as you've chased the things of this world is replaced with a desire to chase after the Lord God Almighty and him alone. Every ambition to live for your own dreams is replaced by a desire and an ambition to live for his glory and his renown and you will not recant and you will not quit until all four corners of the earth have heard the glorious gospel news of Jesus Christ. Everything about you changes when you meet Jesus. Jesus is not a fairy tale. Jesus is a real man who walked the real earth and he died a real death, a criminal's death, even though he was sinless, and he did it so that you could be restored and reconciled to God. Jesus changes everything. If there's nothing you hear on this Easter, I hope it's this. Love leads to transformation. Love leads to transformation. Love leads to transformation. Who's love? God is love. God leads to transformation. Love will make you do some ridiculous things. Let me give you an example of this. I have a 12-year-old, 10-year-old, and 7-year-old. Three girls, okay? I also have a 5-year-old boy. But my 12-year-old, 10-year-old, and 7-year-old, five years ago, I don't want to do the math, but they were whatever ages, okay? That's what they were. Two, yes, that and that. All right, but here's the thing. Their interest at that point in their life was My Little Ponies. Any My Little Pony fans in here? I don't know. But you know what? I promise you, Kevin, you never went to Walmart and saw me buy My Little Pony before I had daughters. Never saw me do it. You know why? Because I had no interest in My Little Pony. But you know when I gained interest in My Little Pony? When my kids started to play with them and they wanted their daddy to play with them. Love leads to transformation. I started doing some ridiculous things when I had girls, like now I'm all of a sudden the hair salonist at the, the hair studio, right? Doing some hair and makeup. That's just not natural me, but it's to transform me because I love my kids. Love leads to transformation. Listen, the crucifixion combined with the resurrection leads to more than a celebration. The crucifixion combined with the resurrection actually leads to life transformation. When you and I understand the reality of the cross and who God is and what he done, has done for us, the only result of that is that we become men and women who serve him, who have lives transformed by him, and we want to live our lives until the whole world hears. Ma'am, sir, 
You walked in today with many troubles. You came to church on Easter because your family invited you. You came to church on Easter because this is the day that we're all supposed to wear similar outfits and take pictures. And you're just ready to get it done and get it over with so you can go home. You walked in today with baggage that's probably bigger than anything that I can imagine. Some of you walked in today completely paralyzed by the pains of your past. Some of you, you are carrying things that not the people in this room would not dare to want to willingly carry. We see you. We hear you. But this message is for you. Some of you, you're on the fringe of divorce, and unless somebody intervenes, it's over. Some of your families, they are on the fringe of shattering. And unless something happens, it's done. Some of you, if you're honest, you don't think you have any value, any dignity, any worth, and you're tired of living the life that you live. But listen, ma'am, listen, sir. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, you do not have to struggle. Those addictions, you're free from. Why? Because there's now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Those addictions will continue to swallow you up like the ocean waters if you do not turn your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of the resurrection, you can be freed from those addictions today. Listen, you don't have to continue to give in to that temptation. You are freed from that temptation if you place your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. He came to set you free from that. You don't have to treat your spouse and kids, sir, the way that you're treating them or ma'am. You can be free from that lifestyle because of the resurrection of Jesus. You can be more patient with your wife. You can be more patient with your husband. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't have to rebel, kids, against your mom and against your dad. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the gospel that's at work within you. You don't have to rebel against anyone. Your marriage can have hope because of Jesus. You can be free from the pains of your past because of Jesus. You don't have to chase the things of this world because of Jesus. You walked in today and you're empty and you're just grabbing at anything in the air and nothing is in the palm of your hand. And Jesus says, just reach out to me. I'll save you. I see you. I'll give you new life. I'll make your life count. I'll give you dignity. I'll give you worth. You don't need another like in the world. You'll have this one. You don't need another follower in the world. You'll have me leading you every step of the way. All you have to do is cry out to Jesus. He changes everything. This truth brings two inevitable realities. Here we are. This is how we land. First, we are set free from the black hole of seeking to earn God's favor by our works. Ma'am, sir, when you turn your life over to Jesus, you are set free from the black hole of feeling like you have to do this work after work after work to please him. The work's already been done. It was done in Christ. It frees you to live that way. And then second, God, who is gracious and merciful, offers eternal life as a free gift on the base, basis of Jesus' death and resurrection. You can have life today. You can be filled today. You can be satisfied today. You can be fulfilled today. You can see that you as an image bearer of God Almighty, he created you in his image. 
And because he did such, you have dignity and you have worth and you have value. You don't need to seek those things from the people around you. You have all you need in him. And some of you, I know, because I've been there, you're thinking, no, Trey, God can't save me because of all of this sin that I've committed. And I see all the sin I commit, and there certainly can't be enough grace to cover that. Well, God has an answer for you. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Ma'am, sir, you cannot out the grace of God. He has enough grace to cover all of your sin, past, present, and even future. The glorious outcome of receiving this free gift is not passive complacency, though. The glorious outcome of receiving this gift is a zeal to become more like Christ. Ma'am, sir, if you're here today and you are on the fringe of giving your life to Jesus, listen to me. Paul's already said, he's already told you this. That doesn't mean now you go and live your life however you want. There's still two masters. You give your life to Jesus, you're making the intentional decision. I'm going to follow him and I'm going to walk on this path of obedience that pursues, that leads to my own righteousness through the finished work of Jesus. It gives us a zeal to want to walk this path. It gives us an unction to want to put our feet in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ Jesus, Paul said. Listen, you know what an imitator is? It's someone who wants to be like someone else. And Paul tells us that that's what the longing of our hearts should be once we're a child of God. It says it just like this in Ephesians. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Why why does he say as beloved children? Because Paul understands that a child likes to be like his daddy. River. Our five-year-old son and I went to Great Clips, and we did what all men do right before Easter, all of us that have hair, no matter how little you have. We all went, and we got haircuts, right? So we could look good on Easter Sunday. Don't judge. But River got called. It was his turn to go get his haircut. They put that little booth there because he's not tall enough, you know, to sit in the chair yet, and they get him up there, and River loves to go get his haircut. They sit him in the chair. They treat him like a big boy. They talk to him, and they put this cape around him, and he thinks he's Superman, and he, he talks his, your ear off. You know my son, he talks nonstop. And the lady looks at him and says, okay, big man, what kind of haircut do you want today? You know what River says? I want one like my daddy. It's just, I want that M. <laughs> Funny. How a moment of humiliation is your greatest pride and joy. Because it was in that moment that I started to think that my son even wanted my deficiencies. How much more then should I long to be like my heavenly daddy? How much more then should I want to walk like him and talk like him and look like him? And be like him every single day of my life. You know what happens when you do and live your life that way? Nothing else in all the world matters. Because you're living your life now for the audience of one. And he's the only one who deserves to be honored, praised, adored, and worshipped 
He's the only one who looks at you and says, in spite of all of your sin, past, present, and future, I accept you, I approve you. If you give me your life, I'll walk hand in hand with you and lead you to righteousness. Ma'am, sir, don't leave here without Jesus. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for the gift of free life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I believe with all of my heart, Lord, that there's a man, a woman, a boy, a girl that's here in this building today that does not know you. Their relationships, their careers, their ambitions, their dreams, that's their master. And today they want to give you their life. I believe with all my heart, God, that there's people, men and women, boys and girls, that you want to save. You want them to see that they matter. And today I'm asking you to do what only you're capable of, and that is save them. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are here today, and today you would say, you know what, Trey? For the first time, I realize there's only two paths, two masters, sin and God. And today I've realized that my master is sin, and I am on that path. As much as I hate to admit it, I'm on that path. And quite frankly, my spouse would be floored to know that I'm on that path. There's people in our church who will be floored to know that I'm on that path. But at the end of the day, I don't give a rip what they think. I want to live for Jesus. If you're here today and you're ready to turn your life over to Jesus and you want new life in him, I just want you to ask, I just want to ask you to let me know that by raising your hand. Just raise your hand right where you're at. I want to pray for you. One, two, anybody else? Three, four. Okay, hands, different places in the room. Listen, in just a moment, I'm going to have everyone stand. And I know that this is going to be a big ask for you, but I, I assure you, I assure you, nobody's going to judge you. We're all going to praise God for the work that he's doing in your life. We're, we, we want to walk with you through life, pray with you, be a family to you. So as soon as I have everyone stand, if you are giving your life to Jesus today, I want to ask you to come up here and join me at the front of the stage. There's going to be, our prayer team's going to be up here. You can just act like you're one of them, okay? Just blend right in. Put your hands behind your back and look out, okay? We won't judge you. We love you. But the count of three, everyone's going to stand, and I'm going to ask you to make your way to the front. You ready? One, two, three. Stand with me. If you're here and you're giving your life to Jesus, I want you to make your way up here to the front. Don't be shy or embarrassed, okay? We got some that are moving. Anybody else? All right, now we saw more hands than that. Anybody else? Let me pray for us. Some continue to come. Even when we pray, we're going to close our eyes. You're welcome to come up here where our eyes are closed, okay? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for at least these two individuals who are making the declaration today that you are their Lord. They want to follow you. They want to live their lives for you. They want newness of life from you. And we thank you that we get that in the finished work of Jesus at the cross and his bodily resurrection from the grave. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring about us. And I pray, God, that those of us who are children of yours, that you will give us a zeal like none other to faithfully follow you every single day of our lives. God, we'll give you the honor and the glory for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.